hello, hello. It's 13 past 12 and we are talking pet chat. It's, it's a lonely little studio today. Dr. Paul McCarthy, it's just you and I. It's almost an intimate it certainly yeah, yeah. is. Intimate setting for us. We're yeah. missing Daniel Carrington, who normally does the first Wednesday of the month, but we've got so much to talk about and there's so many questions that we think we're going to be okay. We hope. <laughs> we'll miss you, Daniel, but we'll battle on. We'll battle on without you, but no, you are missed. <laughs> what are we looking at today? So I thought with the fact that everyone's very interested about the coronavirus, mm. we would talk about coronavirus as a virus that has been detected in a dog recently. Really? Yeah. Um, and also about viruses generally. So we get a bit of a discussion about what viruses are, how they work and how we can prevent against them. Very topical. And we've got Lynn on, from Gresford on the line. A question for Paul McCarthy. Your dog is snoring. That's right. She's, uh, she's less than two year old. She's a lesser apso apso uh, King Charles Spaniel, and she's a loud snorer. Okay, Lynn. So, so your breed type is what we call a brachycephalic breed. So brachycephalic breeds have very short noses. Um, now, often dogs that have short noses have what we call an elongated soft palate. So when you push your tongue up to the top of your mouth, you can feel the hard palate, which is that sort of very firm surface. Behind that, when you look in the mirror, is that sort of saggy area. Now, that's what we refer to as the soft palate. Now, in brachycephalic breeds, the soft palate can often be so long that when they're breathing, uh, reverberation of that soft palate creates the snoring sound you're hearing. So, oh, right. So it's not dangerous. So um, it's not, the snoring itself is not dangerous. The problem for long soft palates in dogs is it, it acts as an obstruction to their airway. So when you're really hot and you're panting and you're trying to get air out to cool yourself down as a dog, that obstruction can make cooling difficult. So certainly it, it can be dangerous to have a long soft palate when you're trying to keep yourself cool. The second thing is often they'll do what's called a reverse sneeze, and it probably won't come across the radio very well, but it's sort of a... (laughs) Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, so the reverse sneeze is actually the dog trying to lift that soft palate up off its epiglottis. So um, we do often suggest in dogs who are having obstructive lesions or or, or looking like they're having problem getting air in, having that soft palate shortened is a very good idea. If your Lars Apsocross is really just having some snoring and otherwise is breathing well, can cool itself down, isn't showing any evidence of obstruction, you can probably ignore it. The other thing important, though, for dogs that do have soft palates is to ensure that they don't get too fat either. Overweight dogs... No, well, Zoe's not fat. Beautiful. None of my dogs were fat. Good, good, because often overweight dogs can have a more saggy soft palate and make that obstruction more noticeable. But... She'll always snore, um, but in this circumstance, you probably isn't anything to be too worried about, Lynn. Okay, thank you. Hope, also, you, hope you get some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, um, are you there? Yep. All oh, right. Yeah, um, I've had that sound with other dogs where they sound like they're choking or gasping, and what I do is push their nose or their their head down towards their chest and get hold on for a few seconds and that usually relieves it. It will relieve it either way but to be honest the best way is actually to lift the head up rather than to lift the head down. 
sorry, push the head down. So if you, if you extend the neck and the head, it'll often help that soft palate to shift. Opening up the Opening airway. Opening up small. the airway. Yep. All yep. right, thanks for the call, Lynn. 49216216 is our number. That was a great demonstration, Paul. Oh, thank you. Yeah. See, it's, it's a full service here. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> it. You worry. If you've got a question for Paul, give us a call right now. We've got a free line for you. Now, Paul, we're having a look at viruses in our pets. Obviously, coronavirus is on the top of uh, most of our minds. We're, we're hearing a lot about it in the media. That's right. And we had someone ask the other day whether mosquitoes can carry it, which would mean it's zoonotic. Yeah, so the term zoonotic, as you know, Sarah, means transferable between species. So um, the belief with the current coronavirus is it probably originated in bats. That's that's the current thinking. Yep. Um, yep. Research out of Hong Kong is suggesting that bats have been the carrier. Certainly insects can act as carriers for lots of things, and particularly in dogs, the most important is heartworm. But they can carry viruses. The coronavirus has been tested positive on a dog in Asia, and it was a, a very big, you know, a lot of worry about that. Like, yeah, can, right. can dogs carry it to people? Um, it, it's since been found out that the dog was acting more or less as, as it can be in, in all inanimate objects, in that the coronavirus can be on objects. So the dog was tested positive but hasn't actually shown to show any symptoms of the disease and therefore they believe um, the test was positive but the dog doesn't actually have coronavirus. So I'd like to sort of reassure people out there that that dogs haven't been shown to be a vector in this disease process anywhere in the world so far. Um, That is a relief. It is. I think that there was a lot of – I read the media about this and there was a lot of worry about that being the case because of the fact that so many dogs live in suburban areas and and what have you. But the dog did not have coronavirus. Um, It just tested positive as if you had done a swipe from a suitcase or um, a tap. Um, the, the test would have shown the so same positive result. So that means it could have result. had the virus on it, but Correct, it, it didn't. But it have didn't have the, the virus. Vi- ah, that's a very the big difference. A there, very big there? difference, and I think that's what I want to reassure people about is that I, there is a lot of fear about this virus. Um, just be careful about the sources you're getting your information about viruses from. Take them from very sort of well. Um, will judge sources in that um, fear around these viruses is probably greater than the, the risk to us. That's well, really interesting. Thank you for clearing up that little bit. What we might do is uh, go to the phones and when we come back after that, we might talk about viruses in general Perfect. in our pets. We're going to go to John from Mulbring. You've got a question about your dog for Paul. Uh, yes, I have. Thank you. Uh, a small dog, I think it is in about 10 years old. It's just a bit hard uh, to hear. Yeah, yeah, just make sure your hand's away from the phone. A bit hard to hear you. Uh, can you hear me now? Yep, yep that's better, John. A uh, little small foxy, about 10 years old, um, all of a sudden just starting to lose weight and drinking lots of water. Eats like a horse, even though it's a dog. Yep. Um, so that's my initial concern. Okay. Uh, so the... the, the Thoughts that I have here are probably there are three main organ areas that sort of regulate metabolism. Um, So the first thing, obviously, is weight loss in the face of a normal appetite means the body isn't getting from the food what it should be getting. So what you're looking at is what could cause that to be the case. So one of the common things in in all animals and species, humans as well, is diabetes. 
so if you are a, if you've got a, a good appetite but you can't metabolize your food and turn it into muscle mass and therefore keep body weight it may mean that you don't have enough insulin to mop up the glucose that your body's being producing for you so diabetes yep. would be an important rule out the other reason I question that for this dog in particular is that diabetes also causes increase in thirst so right. dogs will drink more if they're diabetic. The second can be that you've actually got the food going in, it's being absorbed, but the body's getting rid of it. The protein's leaving the system. So kidney disease can cause weight loss and also increase water consumption. So kidney disease can be infectious, it can be um, uh, immune-mediated, it can also be degenerative. In an older dog, um, kidneys can age and therefore lose their function as well. So that's the other organ system to think about would be the kidneys. The third, obviously, is anything that can cause weight loss, such as liver disease, gastrointestinal disease, even simple things like worms. But certainly in a 10-year-old dog, the two things I would suggest you have your, talk to your vet about would be diabetes and kidney disease because they're diseases we see more commonly in the older pet. And particularly in a small breed dog, they would be the two things I'd be looking at, John. Oh, good. Just sort of happened really quickly, you know. One minute she's quite fat and um, running around and all of a sudden she just started to lose weight. Uh, yeah, and look, and... and, and but, both those diseases, both disease systems can have management options in, involving, say, insulin injections if we're diabetic or changes in diet and different medications for kidney disease. But I do suggest this is a good opportunity for you to have a chat to your vet about this one. Um, in, as I said, it's, they can be managed um, and it would be important to get onto it too soon before that, that weight loss is too severe. Thank you for your call, John. We appreciate it. Now, we had Pamela from Toronto phone in. Uh, she... She said that her dog is suffering from hypothyroid, I, I think. So I thought we might just have a little bit of a discussion, Paul, about hypothyroid. She's no longer on the phone. I'm that, that's assuming okay. that's what she wanted to talk about. Yeah, so hypothyroidism is very common in cats and extremely rare in dogs. So hyperthyroidism is where the thyroid gland produces too much T4 or thyroid hormone and certainly that can cause weight loss in cats, quite dramatic weight loss, in fact. It doesn't generally cause increased thirst, but it certainly causes weight loss. But I, I, in my working career, have never seen it in a dog. Right. So, okay. So, Pamela was wondering whether John's dog, John's, who we, who we just had on the phone, yeah, whether yeah. his dog was suffering from And, and certainly, yep. she's very correct. Hyperthyroid in cats would definitely be a big call ah. for a cat who's suddenly losing lots of body weight. Okay. So, bizarrely, dogs seem to get hypothyroidism, yep. an underactive thyroid. Cats seem to get hyperthyroid, a hyperactive right, thyroid. which means they eat more. The hyper. That's it. Um. Yeah, yeah. So, so hyperthyroid cats are ravenously hungry, but lose heaps of weight. Yes. Hypothyroid dogs become big, lazy lounge lizards. Uh, actually, yeah. it's funny because you know I, I've done this show for a little while, so I think that I'm a vet as well. I'm sure your knowledge um, base is very high. You know how I like to write the answers and see if they're right. Correct. I was wondering if it was the thyroid <laughs> as well, and then and then you didn't say it, and I was like, oh, okay, you don't know that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always good to ask the question because yeah, I'm sure you'll find some gaps in my knowledge as well. But no, really yeah, so certainly that there's, there's very quite bizarrely very quite species differences in in diseases for those and, and that's one of those endocrine diseases where you get cats get too much and dogs get too little okay now another question about uh, leeches dr paul apparently mm, okay. pam's dog is getting a lot of leeches but it fell off on its own and she's wondering if it's because of the the flea and tick medication that she's using 
Actually, I think it's probably more likely that the leech had had its full, its, ah. its fill, and had dropped off without needing to have any more to eat. So leeches are self-limiting. They only feed for as long as they need to, then they drop off on their own accord. Um, my understanding is that the active ingredient in flea and tick medications um, only affects insect RNA, not actually mollusks. I'm not sure if a leech is a mollusk, actually. No, there's my gap in knowledge, Sarah. I don't, oh. I, my, my leech medicine is not that good. Dr. But, Google. Um, yeah, <laughs> but certainly I don't believe the leech would fall under a species where flea and tick RNA-affecting medication would cause the leech to die. I think predominantly the leech fell off because it was full. Okay, there you go. But that, that is a, a hypothesis rather than a confirmed answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a leech is an enleader? Does that... Okay, yeah. So it's certainly not... It would not be, I would think, affected by the flea and tick medication being used. I think it was just a very full leech. There you go. Uh, we're going now to Paul from Wall's End. Uh, Paul, you've got a question about your dog's hearing. Uh, yeah, Sarah. Um, so it's Dr. Paul. Hi, how are you going? Very well, thank you. Mate, I just want to know... Um, I've got a rescue dog. He's probably somewhere around 10 and a half to 11 and a half. Mm-hmm. And it's just quite noticeable he's had a little bit of hearing loss in the last six months. Okay. I'm just wondering, if, is it anyhow related to what um, um, humans with a, like a, as simple as a wax build up in the ears? And is there anything they can do about that? Yeah, and, and certainly, Paul, you're on the right track. So lots, so sound waves are literally that. They, they are waves that move through down to the ear canal. They vibrate on, on the tympanic membrane, which then gets turned into electrical signal, which we then call hearing. So anything yep. that's obstructing that sound wave reaching the eardrum will certainly reduce the hearing. Uh, what breed of dog do you have? I uh, probably a <laughs> staffy cross uh, cattle. Okay, so upright ears? Yes. Yeah, yes. so certainly upright ears do work better to funnel sound down to the eardrum, and so they're often less affected by, by hearing loss. Um, but certainly the, it's an easy thing to check for. Have a sniff down the ear. If, you can, if it smells bad, it probably is yep. bad. Um, and then talking to your vet about what you need to do for that. There are ear cleaning preparations you can also use that will dissolve wax. So wax okay. won't have so much of a scent to it. You'll just see it visibly. Um, yep. But certainly, as with all um, species, as we age, the capacity for sound to be picked up by the little hairs in our inner ear reduces. And so um, age-related hearing loss is not uncommon in, in many breeds. Um, and I think lots of the... So, so Staffy's cattle dogs are quite prone to age-related hearing loss as well. So oh, OK. Yep. It, it could be genetic rather than a physical obstruction, but always easy to fix a physical obstruction. So, so having looked down those ears would be your first step. Okay, mate. Thank you very much. No problems at all. Thanks, Paul. Jennifer in Newcastle, you've got a question for Paul today. Hello. Good morning. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Um, I have an eight-year-old husky who has just had surgery for an ACL and a meniscus tear. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's unlucky. Yeah, so we're four weeks post-op. Mm-hmm. He's going really well. Terrific. Um, my question is, you see a lot of um, information about joint supplements mm. for dogs. Mm. Now, yeah. I've, I've spoken to the vet. He said the jury's still out on whether it does help or not. And, and you're best correct. So there's been a lot, a lot of really good double-blinded trials in these sorts of nutraceuticals. Uh, my general suggestion is 
give it a try in that certainly... I, I have. Yeah, I certainly think that there is, there's nothing to be lost in trying some of the complementary medicine. Supplementary supplements like omega-3, omega-6 fatty acid supplements, glucosamine, so the chondroitins, a lot of these things can really show anecdotal evidence of, of, of good pain relief and, and help in these guys. So um, there are a lot of good brands out there using that. Um, and there's even foods that will in, increase, uh, will actually have those in, incorporated in them. Um, Hills JD, for example, is a diet that includes those nutraceuticals in the mix to try and help those joints. So um, right. your vet's correct. There's, there's no one saying yes or no to these being, being positive. But I, I think anecdotally in my own working career, I think a lot of clients have given very good positive feedback about these. Right. Um, I've tried the powder on his food. He's, mm-hmm. he's very fussy. Okay. And, yeah, yeah, he is. He's, he's the fussiest dog in Newcastle. <laughs> so, um, so you can get them as capsules as well, um, and you can I get them as liquid as well. Yeah, well, the liquid was no good, and the actual tablets, I actually have to shove them down his throat. Sure, and, and you, can, you can train dogs to do that. that. That doesn't hurt them to do that as a technique, yeah. so giving, getting them that way means at least you know they're in. All right, good on you, Jennifer. It's that time of the week, Paul, where we need to look at our dog of the week. Lovely. Yes, we've got a we've got a Rusty now. Rusty is a medium male Staffy cross. Uh, he's a super friendly boy. He's two years old, beautifully natured. Uh, he's a people loving Staffy cross. A lot of Staffies just love people, don't I they? I know my Staffy adores people. Oh, they just get so excited, particularly children. Yes, they do. He loves nothing better than hanging out with his family, and he loves there children. We go. Uh, he is better suited, though, to slightly older kids unless they are used to dogs because, as we know, Staffies are a big build, so he, he kills them with kindness. You know, he yeah, gets yeah. excited and he might jump up. But he is a good boy. Uh, he's house trained, so he knows the basic commands, including sit, stay, down, know and come. He's also been trained to not be defensive around food, so that's excellent. He'd be a great addition to any family. He's looking for a loyal and fun companion. Uh, he could be a little nervous around new dogs, but could be introduced to another dog his size. He's not so keen on little dogs, though. Ideally, Rusty would be great as the main man in a one-dog family. <laughs> <laughs> There's a gorgeous photo of him. He's sort of looking at the photographer as if to say, really? Just yeah, taking the, a photo of me? And the, the lighting's perfect. It is. It really is. <laughs> gorgeous. Uh, so if you want more information, then you can look at 2NURFM.com. Go to our Dog of the Week and check out Rusty, if you're in a situation where you can add a dog to the family unit. Yeah, it's interesting with with sort of dogs like this guy where there's been noted that he is super excited. Um, it's really important when you do have one of those really bouncy dogs around around little children. It's not just about the dog, it's about the children as well because yes. often they get quite nervous about having them at base level jumping up. Um, and so having a dog like that, it would be a really good idea but you, you know that the age bracket is an appropriate age bracket for your dog as well. Because it is hard to, to train kids um, when they're young how to treat dogs. You, Absolutely. You start early but it takes a lot of time and obviously yeah, yeah. it's repetition. They don't get it straight away. That's right. So. And in this case, this is not going to be a dog who's going to be trying to be aggressive. It's a dog who wants to lick and kiss and be best friends. And, yeah. and I know with my staffy, he just adores children. Oh, but his gorgeous. go-to is to try and jump up and give them a kiss. And that's the last thing, a, you know, a, a four or five-year-old wants is a dog right in their face. So <laughs> yeah. it is about training both the children and the dog about what's good manners. Hey, someone should start something where you can send them both at the same time. <laughs> a, a, uh, so, so a, a school for dogs and puppies. Yeah, I like for, it. for kids and puppies. Mm. I think that's a really – I'm going to – no one take that idea. 
Okay. Now, Paul, we want to look at viruses mm. in our pets. That's right. So a couple of things I just want to debunk this week. Um, I had a question from a rabbit owner who was worried that the vaccination for rabbits is coronavirus. It's Khaleesi virus. Oh. So just the rabbit people out there, don't panic. Your yep. rabbits aren't acting as coronavirus carriers either. Um, but just generally to talk about viruses. So um, as we all know, viruses are transferred from people to people and also, therefore, dog to dog. Most viruses, apart from SARS, which did, they do believe, have a true zoonotic potential, most viruses are species-specific. Mm. So only a dog will catch a dog virus, only a cat will catch a cat virus. Um, there are families of viruses that are trans that are in all species. So herpes virus, for example. There's yep. a cat herpes virus, there's a dog herpes virus, there's, a, there's people herpes viruses. And even within that category there are different types of herpes virus. So um, don't panic that, that the herpes virus your dog has is contagious to you or that the herpes virus your cat has is contagious to okay. you. They're different. They're different. So um, cat flu, for example, one of the causes of cat flu is the feline herpes virus. But that's not the same virus that causes cold sores in people, for okay. example. So yep. people often worry, um, I, I, I've diagnosed their cat with herpes, um, can I catch it, are my cold sores related? Uh, yeah, and the answer sure. is no. Um, they're just that the family of viruses has a similar look and appearance and are therefore being classed as the same name. Um, virus transmission generally is very well protected by things like vaccinations. So uh, I have no fear that there will be a coronavirus vaccination in the, in, the, in the pipeline and that will be used to protect us as well. But certainly making sure that you are up to date with your vaccinations for your dogs and cats will minimise the risk of that. Uh, rabbits vaccinations are six monthly. So make sure that that's changed. It used to be 12 monthly against Khaleesi virus, but the more recent release of Khaleesi virus in the last 12 months has caused an increased um, severity of the disease, so therefore should now be increased to six monthly. So all those rabbit owners, make sure you're doing it six monthly if they are outdoor So that's still rabbits. a big problem, the Khaleesi virus for rabbits. Correct, okay. yeah. So Khaleesi virus was released in the country by, by the country to try and keep um, wild uh, numbers down to, to protect yeah. pastoral land and, yep. and, and soil erosion. Um, interestingly, we haven't had an outbreak in the local region the last six months, but there were a lot of losses about 12 months ago when they really released the new strain. So just be conscious that the new strain is out there and we need to be doubly vigilant to get those vaccines done six monthly. Um, indoor pets generally who aren't having direct contact with other dogs or cats can often be vaccinated every three years. Um, and in cases where there may be underlying diseases where your dog or cat can't be vaccinated, so for example, you're on chemotherapy or medications that suppress your immune system, you can still test whether your dog has got adequate levels by TETA testing. And so yeah. you can check that. Yep. We've discussed it before on the radio. But I think the thing to, to be understanding is that most viruses can't live very long outside the body. And so if you're using proper... Um, PPE when you when you're dealing with things, um, if you're vaccinating your animals on a regular basis, um, th those pets are safe, um, and and generally following those vaccination guidelines will ensure that vaccines are doing their job. Um, don't let your vaccine go too long before repeating it. Um, and certainly ensure that young kittens and puppies are vaccinated before yeah. exposure to other animals. And make sure you get the, was it is it 
three months and then six months. I'm can't depending, on, depending on your type, yes. Yeah, so so okay. generally, the for most most animals that have gone to their owners will have had their first vaccination with their breeders. Yep. Um, and so that's normally between six and eight. Um, and then generally there's a 10 to 12 and a 16 week, depending on whether you're on the two or the three course as a primary induction. One thing I didn't realise, which you sort of just touched on then, is that because um, it was always the, the annual vaccination for, for your pets mm. and um, Gizmo being 15 and he is at home all the time, he's inside or in our backyard, yep. um, I was told, oh, you can stretch Correct. that out as That's they get right. older. And I didn't didn't realise that. So. Yeah. So certainly antibodies, are, what we're doing with a vaccination initially is we're getting them to be formed and then what we're doing with them every year is we're just propagating their their presence um, and if new strains are coming out we're introducing those new strains in the vaccines now fortunately if in the case of say parvovirus and the stemper we haven't had a new strain in this country for a very long time oh, excellent. so what these viruses um, what the vaccines have been doing sorry is actually protecting us and keeping those antibodies to those specific strains at bay um, should new strains come out they'll of course be then formulated um, and that's how vaccines work what the what the general population do is they they take samples from animals um, and in people uh, and they test what those strains are to make sure there's not been any mutation because that's the one thing about viruses is that they have a very high potential for mutation which makes them difficult to, to a cure and, and b prevent in long-term cases because if they mutate quickly the vaccines can't do their job yep. Um, yep. and also our own immune system is challenged by mutation of vaccinations as well our vaccines as our viruses sorry as well well I think you've debunked a couple of um, potential fears that we may have I hope had so. with coronavirus. Yeah. The dog isn't going to give it to you, so, so don't panic. <laughs> that is good to know. And stay up to date with your pet's vaccination for, for diseases they actually can get. Correct. So it's good, it's good stuff. We are talking Pet Chat. It's been wonderful to have your company. Of course, we will be back same time next week. Paul, is it you or is it... Uh, I think Dr. David's back Dr. next week. Dr. David Tabret's back. Wonderful. Well, we'll catch up with you in the next couple of weeks. Perfect. And, of course, Cheryl Shaw will return next week as well. Always lovely to have her on the show. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.